This is Comic Shenanigans, Episode 17, Comic Reviews for the week of October the 10th. Welcome to the show. This is Comic Shenanigans, Episode 17. It's Comic Reviews for the week of October the 10th, and I am your host, Adam Chapman. Uh, you might have uh, heard, read my reviews previously on either cgmagazine.ca or also cxpulp.com uh, or on previous episodes of this podcast. Uh, so we've got a lot of comics to look at this week. Unfortunately, uh, my sidekick from the last Comic Reviews episode, Kelly and my wife, will not be joining us this time, but uh, hopefully we'll still have a good show for you. Uh, some interesting comics coming out this week. Not necessarily a huge week, although there was, I guess, at least 30 comics released from the big two, but uh, some interesting stuff. There's obviously the beginning of Marvel Now, as we saw uh, Uncanny Avengers number one release, as well as uh, Avengers vs. X-Men Consequences number one. So we're moving into the post-AVX era, now that AVX proper is completed, so uh, plus fans of AVX will want to stay tuned for our episode number 18, which will be an AVX discussion with uh, my regular frequent guests, uh, Paul Scores and Nathan Strzok, as we kind of go through uh, the entirety of the AVX event, kind of looking at uh, what we thought was good about it, what didn't work for us, uh, characters that we thought benefited from the exposure, those who didn't, the general um, idea of how the the acts broke down, etc. So that'll be our next episode, episode 18. Uh, so f- let's just kind of jump into uh, this week's comics. Uh, first up, we have Avengers number 31. This issue is um, kind of beginning the end of Bendis' era of writing the Avengers, Um as you can see from the cover, it says Avengers A time, sorry, end times, and you have kind of an Avengers disassembled kind of logo, so it's kind of harkening back to this kind of being the end of this era. It's kind of an odd that he, they would use an A that's all fractured, though, because it does bring you remind you of Avengers disassembled, and this isn't really a disassembling as far as we know, because everything's kind of coming together during this era. So it's kind of weird to have Uncanny Avengers starting at the same time as Avengers is closing out its runs, which is definitely an, like a bit of an odd circumstance. They could have scheduled the timing of it a bit better, especially because you can tell that they're really kind of uh, ramping up all these books ending, and they're double shipping most of them this month, and I think next month too. So that it doesn't seem like they really put enough planning into it or that they they kind of did but then they actually looked and realized that they're like oh crap this is this may not work uh so this issue is by uh bendis and then with our you got mayhu and uh, brandon peterson um it's kind of a mixed bag for me uh there's some really strong stuff at the beginning with some mysterious person who's stranded and trying to activate a, a like an Avengers emergency beacon, but it doesn't really have a lot of it doesn't really make a lot of sense as to where what it is, and it kind of comes out of nowhere, and we don't even see the resolution of where it is or who it is, so per se, so it's kind of like a, a big open mystery, and I didn't really appreciate that personally. Um, you hear. Here you have Bendis kind of revisiting the idea of Wonder Man, and I thought it was really poorly done because he he makes Wonder Man into this almost villain, uh, gathering all these you know these people to kind of take on the Avengers, and now here he's like, I'm sorry, Cap, which is basically what he does. It sounds stupid, and you know what? It kind of is. It it really doesn't feel like Bendis understands how to write Wonder Man in a in a well defined, uh, very, like, three-dimensional way. He's got to write uh, Luke Cage, apparently, because he cannot write Wonder Man to save his life. And it just it feels very tacked on and very uncomfortable, and I just didn't appreciate or enjoy seeing Wonder Man here. And I like that he's not necessarily a villain anymore. Maybe they're trying to change it so that whoever the new writers are, like Hickman, etc., can make him into a hero again. But it just felt very slapped together. It didn't work for me. 
the art again the Peterson stuff is actually really strong the Mayhew stuff could really have been a lot better uh, it's just kind of a setup issue for what the rest of the arc is I guess going to be I just didn't care a lot for it personally I gave that a 6 out of 10 uh, next up we have Avenging Spider-Man number 13 uh, I didn't really like this either uh, it's got the return of the Hypno Hustler uh, it's written by Kevin Schnick with art by Aaron Cooter um, Avenging Spider-Man had a lot of promise when it started and now it just kind of feels like a mess um, I do appreciate the, uh, anything with Deadpool, they have to kind of poke fun at everything, so on the top right-hand corner here, you have Deadpool WoW instead of Marvel Now, which is kind of funny, but not really. I don't care for the Hypno-Hustler, I know people like Hypno-Hustler because he's such a throwback, ridiculous villain, but I just didn't really appreciate it for here. The artwork by Cooter is actually not bad, it's actually one of the best things about this issue, uh, and there's a lot of things that are kind of played up and made fun of and just i personally just didn't enjoy it all that much because it just felt like less of a spider-man issue more of a deadpool issue not necessarily in a good way um the the whole point of this book was to tell interesting spider-man stories that couldn't be fit into the main ongoing but that still mattered and i just feel like the more and more this series kind of goes along we're not seeing that we're having a few where it's kind of like the ends of the earth epilogue as an example or the issue that tied into the punisher daredevil crossover the omega effect was actually one of the better issues although not in that crossover i mean it was probably the weakest but it was nice to at least see this title actually mean something uh i i just i i still read this but i'm not really all that impressed by it again the artworks are much better than the writing kevin schick does not do any real favors for the uh people who are reading this book he gave it a five out of ten uh next up is avx consequences number one um now i was really really skeptical going and obviously this is a weekly book so that kind of makes me wonder what it's going to be like uh, i wondered if it was going to be kind of like a civil war confession which was really good or something more like a uh Fear itself, the fearless, which was horrible, or just didn't. Sorry, it wasn't even that it was horrible. It just felt like it didn't matter and didn't go anywhere. And by the end, you didn't really care. Um, it wasn't a bad story. It just you want to feel like a story means something, and it meant nothing, or at least that's the way it felt like when it was over. So uh, you got Kieran Gillen on uh, writing it, and you got Tom Rainey on art. This is probably my least favorite version of Tom Rainey's art that I've ever seen. I don't know what it was. Maybe it's that he inks his own stuff, but it just felt like the more the farther along you got in the issue, the worse the artwork became. Um, Captain America's costume looks really crappy. I don't think many people can make it look right, especially because on the cover you have the classic Captain America costume, and then you got his ridiculous ultimatized version, and it just doesn't work. I don't like that in every issue that has Scott Summers uh, with wearing that new helmet that he's wearing. Uh, to retain his powers, they, it looks different in every shot that we've seen from every single like different book he's been in. So there's no real artistic consistency there. Um, there's a gigantic plot hole, not even a plot hole, but just a lack of plot development here, where Cable has suddenly disappeared because he's going to be starting his own book soon. But instead of having a scene where he actually takes off and tells Hope why he's leaving, we have Hope reading a letter that we don't get to see and then burning it. Uh, we're basically Cable saying that he's got to head off. This is his daughter. That does not make sense at all. This man sacrificed his everything, gave up his life for his daughter, and now he takes off without telling anything to her. That just doesn't—it doesn't feel right. Doesn't sit well. It's—it's it, it's terrible, honestly. It's—it just feels so wrong. Um, apparently, and I—I I can't remember where I was reading this, but apparently, Cable was originally supposed to kind of be more in AVX, but that it ended up not happening. So then, instead, we get this, and that just didn't work. Uh, you got, uh, again, I don't understand why Magneto is really kind of on the hit list because he actually stood up to, uh, Cyclops, but they're hunting him anyway. So you have uh, a weird 
kind of really scared, jittery Tony, which doesn't make a lot of sense because he's so arrogant that I don't view him being someone who would rattle this easily. Uh, him and Carol Danvers trying to hunt, kind of hunt down Magneto. Um, at the end of the issue, you have Captain America wearing his stupid chin strap trying to get Wolverine to go talk to Skyclops to see if he can find out anything about where the uh, rest of the Extinction team went. And this is the last page. Horrible art. And then you got Wolverine be a giant hypocrite saying, you know, hello, Slim. Killed anyone lately? Yeah, the guy who runs a team of killers really has no right to say shit to Cyclops. It just felt really wrong. Um, the issue on the whole didn't really captivate me because it felt like they didn't really know what they wanted to do with it. I kind of like the Cyclops in prison stuff because I want to see him kind of being able to escape or at least kind of turn it around because he's that good. But the rest of it really didn't work for me. So, And as I said, this is probably the worst Rainy art I've ever seen. I'm not... A lot of people are either really like Rainy or don't like him at all. I'm usually on the... You know, he's a pretty, fairly good artist. I actually enjoy his stuff most of the time. Not here. Not at all. Did not do anything for me that last page. It almost looked more like uh, Neil Adams because it was just very losing its cohesion and just looked like a mess. So I wasn't a big fan. Give that a 6 out of 10. Next up is Batgirl number 13. Uh, man, I it's not really a huge bit of a crossover to the death of the family. I mean, uh, although that being said, it does say it's a prologue to the death of the family, and you can see that. Um, I'm in absolute awe of the artwork in this book. It's just the colors by, uh, I mean, the artwork's by Ed Bennis, and he's inking and penciling it, but the colors are by, uh, you, I guess, Ulysses Ariola, and fantastic stuff. Like, it just pops in just such a way that, like, all the colors on Batgirl's costume, like, the, you got even got the sheen bouncing off of it, you got the, the nice color of her, of her, the bat symbol, and her gloves, and her belt. I mean, it just, it really pops. Um, and the action by Bennis just looks amazing. I mean, no one makes women look as good as he does, but, like, he really amps it up here. And this is a fantastic series of fight sequences uh, between Nightfall and, uh, and Batgirl. So this is really good. It was disturbing. There were some disturbing parts of it, too. But the most part, this is a really good story. I, uh, the inclusion of Batwoman felt a little tacked on. But, uh, you know, she looked good, too. Not nearly as good, though. Um, the real thing here is at the end of the issue, um, uh, Barbara's mom gets attacked by three guys wearing clown faces. One of them kind of dressed up to look like Joker doing the killing joke. So I'm really interested to see where we go from here. Uh, as we get more into Death of the Family storyline, which I'm really enjoying so far. This prologue was extremely well done, so give this an 8 out of 10. Uh, next up is Batman number 13. This is one of the big releases this week. Uh, I gave this an, a 9.5 out of 10. It was just brilliant. Scott Snyder has just knocked every issue out of the park here. Greg Capullo is a, a really good artist, and he's really got a strong storytelling sensibility, and... Uh, there's just so much to like here. Even the beginning where, you know, the idea that Commissioner Gordon is, you know, quitting smoking and everyone's kind of hiding all of the, taking all of the cigarettes was really cool. And then when you have the Joker finally show up, uh, it's a very cinematic sequence where he's in the dark and he's just picking people off one by one. And, and it's just, he's just ratcheting up the tension. And then finally when Batman shows up, I mean, you're, yeah, the whole place has kind of been decimated except for Gordon. Um, extremely, extremely riveting. Um, and I, I like the idea too that he's kind of contacting everyone in the family, just being like, you know, the Joker's back, and he's like, no, I got this, this is mine. Um, and there's some interesting connections here to like the first person that the Joker ever killed in the Joker's first appearance. Um, Batman trying to do everything he can to protect uh, the person that Joker's kind of targeted for death. 
and then the but the very end is really where it all comes down to is you have Batman confronting the Joker in the Red Hood costume at Ace Chemical, and then you realize it's not actually Joker at all, but it's actually Harley Quinn, and then you go back to the the actual uh, Goff, uh, sorry not Gotham, uh, Wayne Mansion, and you have Alfred Pennyworth enter the door, and then Joker's there, and he's just and he just has like a um, a hammer in his hand, and you got that creepy mask attached to his face because his 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 old face is, was taken off. And now, Mister Pennyworth, stop me if you've heard this one. And he's just laughing maniacally. Uh, this is a really really tense issue. The backup was really creepy as well, um, with the Joker and Harley Quinn. Uh, really creepy, sadistic. But this this is a really good book. Um, Death. Of, obviously, we've heard a lot of Death of the Family, and there's been a lot of people talking about like how it's going to be really creepy and it's Joker's big return. And I, it's one of those things where like you almost think that there's no way it can possibly um, reach the level of uh, you know build up that they've been building it up to. But no, it does. It's really good. Uh, the backup is called Tease. It's uh, by Scott Snyder, James Tinian the Fourth, both writing it and with Jock on artwork. Uh, Jock is probably the perfect choice for the backup. Uh, he really nails the weird, sadistic uh, nature of the story. Extremely well done. 9.5 out of 10 all the way. Uh, next up is Batman and Robin number 13. Uh, this is a really good book. Uh, it's got a really... I'm really enjoying the, the little work that they've done on this book. I never thought I'd like Damien, but uh, Tomasi's really made me like him. Uh, artwork is split in this book between Patrick Gleason on pages 1 to 15 and Tomas Garello on 16 to 20. Um, it's got a pretty interesting story, actually. I, I mean, I, this kind of stuff, it feels more like it's a pre-New 52 because Batman's technology is so out there, but like they go into space. Uh, it's all about, you know, uh, perspectives, etc. Um, there's like a, a, a potential zombie attack happening. Uh, I really like the way that Robin's been written here. Uh, just a lot of fun. There's some really outrageous concepts, but... This is pretty cool stuff, uh, and it's all kind of happening at the same time as the Joker is back, but hasn't yet. The end of Batman 13 obviously hasn't happened yet. Um, but some really cool stuff here. I can't wait to see what happens next. Uh, I can't wait to see how it. If it, I forget if it's going to tie more into the death of the family, and I hope it does. But uh, this is a great book to see Robin and Batman's relationship really played up, and and kind of having Robin more or less in the spot semi spotlight, which I do enjoy. Um, so that's an eight out of ten. Next up is Captain America number 18 as we near the end of Brubaker's run. Um, this kind of ended the current storyline with the Mad Bomb um, and, and uh, Nova, sorry not Nova, uh, Bravo and the Queen Hydra who I don't really really like or really like or appreciate at all. Um, it's going to be weird to have someone not be Brubaker on this title but that might be the best for the best because Ever since book, this book became more about the big superheroics, I think it became a little bit less enjoyable. That being said, there are some a lot of Kirby-esque kind of uh, aspects to this. I mean, you got uh, Captain America with a jetpack. Um, you've got you know Baron Zemo having a great fight with uh, Sharon Carter, and 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 then Dugan there as well. Some really there's some fun stuff. Um, we got the end of the as I said, this whole Bravo story. It it did feel like it was a nice conclusion, but also I didn't know. I realized when it was over that I, I wasn't a huge fan of the general storyline to begin with. I mean, it was an okay conclusion. Uh, it just wasn't quite for me. I did like the artwork though. I mean, it was very. I mean, it's Scott Eden doing it, so I mean, there's a lot to like there. Um, Brubaker and Cullen Bunn wrote it, so 
it's got some fun stuff. It's not a bad issue, but anyways, it didn't necessarily light my world on fire, so I only gave it a 7.5 out of 10. But it's still pretty solid stuff. Um, next up is Deadpool number 62. Now, I was not a huge fan of the last issue with Hitmonkey, and then thankfully Hitmonkey's not really in this one. This this issue kind of made me feel like maybe Daniel Way's done. like, And not in a bad way, because I liked a lot of his stuff, but it just felt like it was kind of... It didn't feel like it was challenging the reader at all. It just kind of felt like like this wouldn't be a hard Deadpool story to kind of write in your sleep. Like, it was fairly formulaic. Um, Taskmaster shows up, and usually I like seeing Taskmaster, but not always, given the way that he's sometimes written in Deadpool, uh, especially in the ways he's illustrated by uh, Garza and... Uh, it's L.A. Garza and Matteo Loli. I'm not a huge fan of their pencils in this book and the way that they kind of show Deadpool and, and Taskmaster because Taskmaster visually doesn't look like he gets a lot of respect here, even though he's written okay. Um, yeah, it just kind of feels like they're almost done. I'm not a huge fan of the storyline because it, it just feels very very easy. I don't I don't know how to put it, but just I read this issue and the whole all the fight sequences, it just didn't feel like it was really surprising me. A couple of issues ago when you had, you know, Deadpool uh trying to avoid the black box's attack, or sorry, Black Swan, everyone with a black in their name. And he was at that uh, that gas station. I felt it was really kind of pushing things and I didn't know what was really going to happen because it was kind of unconventional. But this feels more typical now. So I don't know. I'm not. I'm not really looking forward necessarily to the new Deadpool in uh, Marvel now, but it might be time for a new uh, a changeover. Not because Daniel is bad, because he's given a great what four or five years of writing Deadpool. I mean, he's been very consistent. I just think maybe it's time for someone a little bit fresh and new to take over the book. Um, so as I said, seven out of ten. Next up was Deathstroke number thirteen. Um, I don't know. I don't know. This this wasn't necessarily bad, but I felt like this was just a really long fight sequence that really, didn't really go anywhere. And I have to admit, I haven't read a lot of this book, so that maybe it's my fault. Um, plot by Rob Liefeld, script by Joshua Williamson, pencils by Eduardo uh, Pensica. He has some pretty good pencils. Um, it, this kind of just felt like a very long fight sequence that didn't have to be this long. It felt like... Well, it felt like a movie. You know, you're watching a movie, and at the end of the day, you finish the movie, and you got this big fight, but what did it really... Did it have to be this long? Like, there's not a lot that happens here. It's basically uh, this guy, new guy uh, trying to test the hero. Uh, that's essentially what it is. And it's a stupid name, Deadborn. Like, really? Death, death, uh, Deathstroke has to open Deadborn? Like, who's, who cares? It just felt like there wasn't a lot going on here. It was really just Deadborn... Sorry, uh... What was that, the hell did I say his name was? Uh, Deadborn just trying to test Deathstroke, and then he just takes off when he's done. He's like, I was going easy on you, I won't go easy on you next time. And then the idea that Jericho's kind of what is has some master plan in, in mind for taking on Deathstroke. It just felt like a lot of this issue could have been condensed into maybe 8 to 10 pages, and then maybe we could have had more of a story. We didn't get that, so... It wasn't bad. I mean, you could tell that this is probably a life out. This this was a life out plot. It wasn't horrible. It just didn't do much. Uh, give it a six and a half out of ten. Next up is Fantastic Four six eleven. I actually really enjoyed this. Uh, this was a nice way of kind of going back. And now it did feel weird because technically this is the last issue. And ever since Hickman kind of ended his his big mega star story, the the meta arc he had. Um, it kind of felt like there were some things on, like there was, like he didn't really know where he was going because he was on borrowed time because we all knew it was ending, and then you have this arc. Now this story is really good, 
One problem is that it doesn't end here. It ends in FF, which for the last issue of this new Fantastic Four, you'd wish for something having a little bit more closure. That being said, it was a pretty good story of basically revisiting what happens to Doom uh, after what happened uh, during the the end of the the, the main storyline where he ended up on the bridge and then was given kind of a new... uh, He was ended up in that spot where all the uh, brain-dead Dooms were and uh, with some Infinity Gauntlets from a different galaxy and the idea that he goes and creates a galaxy but then he creates people who end up turning against him and then it's up to Reed, uh, Nathaniel, and... um, uh, What's it called? Reed, Nathaniel, and uh, the adult Valeria to kind of uh, go back and rescue him. Uh, It's interesting to see what the end of this issue means because it's going to be concluded in FF23. Um, But not bad in terms of the first part of a two-parter. It definitely closed off some ongoing plot threads and kind of reset things uh, so that going forward there's a good status quo that they can go from and it's not in shambles. so I'm glad that Hickman at least got a, the chance to close off those stories. Uh, Stegman's artworks are still pretty good. It's still not as good as it was on Scarlet Spider, and I'm not sure why. I've, I keep meaning to go through the credits and see if there's a the difference because he doesn't have the same inker or colorist, and I still haven't had a chance to really do that. Um, but I just hope that now that Stegman's been announced to be doing the uh, the inaugural arc of the Superior Spider-Man number, uh, at least issues 1 and 2 for sure that are shipping in January, um, I'm hoping that Whoever he had doing uh, doing his work, like sorry, not doing his work, but doing his inks and colors on Scott Spider, I hope that they they travel with him to Amazing Spider-Man because if they do, that could be one of the best looking books of the year. Um, not even like kidding. I think he has the potential to be one of the best artists on that book. I just hope he has the right support uh, to help him kind of attain that. That being so, Fantastic Four six eleven, I gave it an eight out of ten. Next up is the first X Men. I'm not enjoying this at all. Uh, I kind of read it just because, like, I want to be able to review it. Uh, you got Neil Adams doing what? I guess the plot and the art and Christos Gage on script. Christos Gage is a fantastic writer, and he does his very best to make this work, but it's just not that good. Uh, it's not It's not really the writing fault. I really feel like he's been given a kind of a shitty plot, and he's doing his best with it, But the and the artwork is just, like, I know Neil Adams is a fantastic artist, and he has an, an astounding legacy. But he, this is just not his good, good, not his stuff. I mean, I've seen so much of his artwork over time that it's been really, really good. This just isn't it. This is lacking cohesion. It just looks like a mess. Uh, long hair look. Just, it's like Epting, but worse. Because like Epting really does a lot. Because he was kind of in that grunge '90s era of when he was doing uh, like Avengers, etc. And some of his more modern stuff still has that kind of this long hair kind of look. Like when he brought back Winter Soldier, and that works for him. It doesn't work here. Not at all. Um, not for Neil Adams. I just, I didn't find this engaging. I don't like the story all that much with Wolverine Sabretooth and the Motley team and uh, like the, you know, the Trask and the governmental kind of issues. I just don't know why this exists. Um, it kind of takes the whole idea of the X-Men. We've seen X-Men First Class, all that kind of stuff. And this kind of muddies it and doesn't make sense given Wolverine's own chronology and his history. I just, this, this hurts to look at and hurts to read. Um, Gage does his very best with the script, but he doesn't have much to work with, so I'm not really... When I give this its final rating, which I gave it a 4 out of 10, I do not in any way blame Christos Gage for this. He is a brilliant writer who really knows how to make you care about characters, but he's dealing with something that is hard to de- hard to manage in a way that could make it readable and enjoyable, and he's doing his best, But so I don't fault him for the fact that it fails utterly. 
Uh, next up is Green Lantern Corps number 13. Uh, ostensibly, this is part of the rise of the, uh, I guess, the first ar- uh, third army. I think it's technically part of that storyline. I'm not entirely sure. Um, no, okay, it is. It is tagged that way. Uh, this issue kind of sucked. Um, and that being said, I actually liked a lot of the issue. I just felt the, the violence of these... Like, you, you open up with the first few pages of these, you know, these new... This third army killing some people. I don't like that. I don't find it interesting or engaging. You have... Um, uh, a character released from prison, which I actually really like, because that's an interesting idea. I like that Guy Gardner got a promotion, um, and that who's obviously being set up for fall by the by the the Guardians. I like the idea that uh, it looks like now this is probably just a ruse, but it looks like Mogo's trying to reform himself, and the Guardians ask him if John uh, John Stewart if he wants to be involved in kind of figuring out what's going on. So some of this stuff is really good. And the idea that, you know, Guy Gardner thinks his family's in, in danger, so that's why he, he takes off from um, from his duty and then ends up coming face-to-face with, uh, you know, the Third Army and seeing someone he knew and respected become transformed into one. So there were some really good aspects in here, but there's also a lot of shit. Um, I don't really understand the need for the Third Army. I just find them so uninteresting in terms of their visual appearance and their modus operandi, and I just found it gruesome and not intriguing. Like, the Alpha Lanterns were more interesting to me, and they always were, theoretically. Usually they weren't written that way, but they were written as, sorry, they were conceived as something more interesting than what we ended up getting. Uh, this just wasn't. I don't like the Third Army. They are not appealing. They have no personality. I don't like the idea that the Guardians are going this evil. Uh, the fact that they're... You know, they, they basically stage something so that Gardner can die or be killed. Uh, this just, I find this really frustrating because some of this issue was so good and really enjoyable and kind of thrilling because the idea that, you know, that Gardner pulls off from what he's doing and he's racing home because he's worried that his family's in danger because of this, this guy he put away who wants to, like, kill him and everyone he knows. And then you get the third army thrown in, and that I don't care about. So it's this weird hodgepodge. Tomasi uh, does his best with the script, and I just feel like... I don't even feel like the third army is really something he wants to do. So, But he does write some really good, compelling stuff for Jon Stewart and, and uh, Guy Gardner, who are his main characters. So, I mean, there you go. Cafu does the artwork on this one. Uh, I gave it a 7.5 out of 10. There was a lot of elements, as I said, that really bugged me, but there's also so much strength here, and some of the characterizations of the two main lanterns is really good. And I mean, as much as I don't like what happens to... Um, I forget his name, but Guy Gardner's... Uh, is not his partner, but the guy he has begrudging respect for, and 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 is part of his strike squad. Uh, seeing him get massacred the way he did felt unsettling and just unnecessary. It just felt ugh, like very icky. So I got a seven and a half out of ten. Uh, next up is Invincible Iron Man number five twenty six. It's almost over. Um, this I, I feel like this storyline. <laughs> It just feels very long. This kind of reminds me of... Uh, oh, I can't even remember which storyline I'm thinking of in my head, but... Oh, I, I know what it was. The Final Execution storyline in Uncanny X-Force. As much as it's good, it's way too long. Like, I guess it's just that I'm not used to really long stories anymore, because usually things are broken down a bit more. Uh, like, this Invincible Iron Man story, technically, this part of the storyline, the future, uh, this is part six. Yes, it's only six parts, but really, the issue... Like, the... the um, I can't even remember the name of it, but the arc right before it is really part of it as well. So as much as it's really saying it's part six, it's more like part 11 or 12. Uh, it doesn't have the same level of... I. There's a lot of characters in here, yet I find that the way that LaRocca has kind of redone the, the visual looks for a lot of these characters 
I don't even know who some of them are anymore. Like, they don't look as distinctive as they used to. The colors aren't that vibrant on this book anyway, so they kind of look drab, so everyone kind of looks the same. So I'm not a huge fan of that. Uh, whereas when you had, um, I guess, the, the second main arc in Invincible Iron Man, right after the initial Five Nightmares arc, you had that year-long arc with uh, Stark on the run from Norman Osborn. And that felt like it had, there was a lot going on, but it was a really thrilling ride, even though it was a little slow. This feels like there's a lot going on, but I don't know who all the characters are sometimes, because there's a lot going on, but there's not a lot of artistic differenti- differentiation between them. Um, so, but the, I mean... And I'm not a big. I'm still not a big fan of this whole idea that Mandarin always being shirtless when he does everything. It's kind of an odd thing that they've had him do recently. Uh, that being said, I mean there's a lot of big action that happens here, and a lot of it isn't necessarily all that well portrayed. Uh, the panel work that LaRocca uses isn't always clear on exactly what's transpiring in each and every panel. So when you get to the end, and you know the Stark and his compatriots have kind of won. First of all, I'm not really quite sure what they what the um, the uh, Stark Resilient team was able to do to kind of reboot Tony Stark. That felt, I mean, I kind of get it, but it felt clumsily written by uh, Fraction. Uh, the artwork, again, this kind of drab kind of idea that where I, I couldn't quite tell what was happening half the time. There was a lot of tight shots on things happening, but it wasn't really, uh, from a storytelling, storytelling perspective, really telling me what was going on, how it was going on, and why it mattered, and why and how they were able to eventually fix the day and save the day and take down Mandarin. Um, next issue is the last one. There's a lot of cleanup to be had, so I'm interested to see what happens and how Fraction kind of ties it all together and then sets it up for Marvel now and seeing if there's going to be any cliffhangers at all or is it just going to be like a straight, this is the end, this is the conclusion, and now go pick up, um, what is it, Guillen and uh, Greg Land's new uh, Iron Man book. So uh, It's almost over. <laughs> Uh, I was originally going to give it an 8 out of 10, but upon reflection, I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. The inconsistencies in the artwork and the relatively poor storytelling is what kind of costs it some points. Uh, next up is Phantom Stranger number 1. Um, <laughs> this was alright. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the best thing I've ever read. It essentially introduces Raven to uh, the DC Universe, as well as Trigon. Um the artwork by Brent Anderson is extremely good. I mean, I think I wouldn't have made it through this issue if it wasn't for Brent Anderson's artwork. It's really creepy and evocative. Uh, the art, the scripting by Dan DiDio isn't actually all that bad. Uh, it's just, I don't know what kind of book this is going to be. And then you got the end of the issue where, like, Phantom Stranger goes home and he's a guy and he has a family and I... I is it just me? Like, did I not read Phantom Stranger Zero? Because I'm pretty sure I did, and none of this was kind of highlighted. And then that's what happens here. And then Pandora shows up at the very end because she shows up in all the number one issues anyway. But uh, it's an interesting story. I do like that we got to see. I got. I, I'm assuming it was supposed to be Raven in this new DCU and Trigon. It's kind of interesting. There's not a lot to it though. There's not a lot of. Uh, meat on the bones, but the Brent Anderson's artwork is is really, really strong. It kind of makes up for some of the deficiencies in the actual writing and scripting. So I gave it a 7 out of 10. The artwork is what keeps it that high. Um, it's, it's the storytelling that makes it go lower. That's really what it comes down to. Uh, Red She-Hulk, number 58. So now, this book has now been renamed from Hulk to, Re- uh, to Red She-Hulk. Uh, this isn't bad. Um... I wasn't expecting to enjoy this. This is part of Marvel now. Uh, I actually wasn't expecting to enjoy this at all. Like, I don't know what it was, but 
this I, I opened that up and as much as I, I wasn't a huge fan of some of the, the writing in the opening few pages, I found the artwork was just so strong. Um by I guess it's by uh, Carlo I apologize, it's Carlo Pagulan and Wellington Alves on pencils and uh Jeff Parker writing. Um I still don't I don't I haven't followed a lot of Red Shield stories, so I don't know a lot about how she became this way. Uh, it's hard for me to reconcile the Betty I remember to this Betty, and now that she's the Red She-Hulk. That being said, this is a really, really strong, uh, strongly illustrated issue. Uh, the artwork is absolutely fantastic. It's kind of an interesting idea that Red She-Hulk is basically trying to sabotage and, and stop the, the the army from doing, um, basically a revival of the Super Soldier Project, for lack of a better word. Uh, really engaging work on, on Betty, the artwork, as I said, is brilliant. Um, like, even looking at the cover for the next issue, it looks so good. Um, you have Aaron Stack not back to being X-51 Machine Man, but uh, he's really kind of written interestingly. Uh, he's Obviously, it's a departure from his Aaron Stack persona from Next Wave, but that's okay because, I mean, you don't have to stick in that. Only a few people can, can nail that version of Aaron Stack, and I'd rather see them kind of write him as being Machine Man X-51 again as opposed to doing a bad version of a Warren Ellis uh, Aaron Stack. So it's kind of what I'd rather see this character written poorly or written well but done in a different way that's not the same as what we last saw when he was in X-Wave. So it's kind of taking the good with the bad and trying to get the best out of it. The artwork is on him especially is really good too. And as much as I haven't been a fan of uh, the new look for Captain America, it doesn't look as bad here either. Uh, we see a little bit of it when he's talking to um, Machine Man. So this is some interesting stuff. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to. I thought this was going to be one of those books where you're like, eh, if I wasn't reviewing it, I wouldn't be reading this. Um, but now I want to read more. I'm interested. So 8 out of 10. Next up is Scarlet Spider number 10. Um, this is part of the Minimum Carnage event, which started last week. Uh, you know what? I like this. Um, still, the covers are brilliant. It makes me sad that Stegman's not on this book anymore. Uh, it's written by Chris Yost with art by, uh, by Koi Pham. Uh, not, not bad stuff. Uh, I like how we have Venom and, um, sorry, I apologize. Koi Fam and Riley Brown are doing the artwork here. I like how Venom and Scott Spider kind of interact. Uh, Scott Spider doesn't like Venom and Venom doesn't really like that, uh, Scott Spider all that much because he keeps thinking he's more like Spider-Man and he remembers seeing, you know, a second Spider-Man during the end of, um, uh, Spider Island a year, a year and a bit ago, I guess. Um... The Carnage stuff in the microverse doesn't is isn't as engaging here, but what's more interesting is just seeing the stuff between Scott Spider and Venom as Venom kind of gets transformed a little and taken over. Uh, what was it? Even he just kind of gets possessed and turns into more of like the typical Venom. Uh, so you have the obviously Venom and Scott Spider have to have a big fight before they decide to team up, um, and then the two of them decide that they're gonna you know go and get Carnage together into the microverse. Uh, when they do get there, you have some. Uh, Bug and his buddies uh, find Venom, and then the person who finds Scott Spider is a giant weird creature. Um, it's it's definitely a departure. Excuse me, a departure for this book to uh, be so out of Houston and kind of the and to go in, out otherworldly. But it's an inter- interesting change of pace. Uh, it's kind of like when Venom threw in the. Um, uh, the demonic storyline during the Circle of Four a year ago. Uh, 
I hope it works out better than the Circle of Forty because I felt that kind of ended up, ended up feeling a bit like a mess. Um, but there's some, a lot of good potential here in the microverse and kind of challenging these characters. So I'm interested to see how this event will end up impacting both Venom and Scott Spider. Um, so it's still pretty good. I enjoyed it. Uh, artwork still not up to uh, Ryan Stegman uh, levels, but still enjoyable. So I gave it an 8 out of 10. Next up is Secret Avengers number 32. Didn't expect to like this all that much. Um, not a huge fan of what's been going on in this book. Um, I don't know. I want to like this more than I do. And like Rick Remender's writing it, I like Rick Remender. Uh, this episode, sorry, episode, this issue is illustrated by Matteo Scalera. Um, not a huge fan of the first few pages uh, by Scalera. It's got this nice dark feel, but then there's not a lot of detail in like the faces and etc. Um, this whole storyline has kind of felt like it was going somewhere, and then I just didn't care when it got there. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the Descendants as a story concept, um, but I do like what I do like about this is that we have Ant Man and Venom kind of against the world kind of concept, where it's up to them to save the world, and they do. Um, the end of this issue kind of makes me sad though because it's revealed that uh, the Ant Man's dead. Um, and I guess we kind of knew that that could be the case, or we didn't know what was going on. I can't really remember now. But, um, well, also, sorry, I'm looking at the issue as we speak, as I speak. Uh, Venom and Valkyrie finally, uh, get down to the business and, uh, sleep together. Uh, but it's revealed that Eric O'Grady died, and then he's been replaced by an LMD, and now he's the Black Ant. Um, I'm sad for Eric Grady, especially, Eric O'Grady, especially because I liked him and, and, uh, Venom kind of being this ragtag team, <laughs> Because they were kind of they're very interesting characters in how they play off one another and how they um, are kind of similar but very dissimilar at the same time. So it's too bad that that didn't end up kind of happening and that now he's been dead. So that's I I was kind of disappointed that that's why they ended up taking it. But yeah, it's an interesting way to go and we to see how this book kind of wraps up before it gets uh, relaunched as part of Marvel now. Uh, next up is the the big release for the week. It's uh, Uncanny Avengers number one. Uh, I was not a huge fan. John Casty is a brilliant illustrator, and that's for certain. Um, didn't like... Now, I'm going to try and be relatively brief in my discussion of the issue, actually, because this will be covered in the next episode, or at least it should be. Uh, the opening of the issue, you get... What we end up realizing is Avalanche getting his his uh, getting a lobotomy. I didn't think this should... For this, is, this is Marvel now. This is the big first salvo in this new you know big relaunch revamp that marvel's promoting and in the first issue the big one the big marquee flagship book uncanny avengers the first page is someone getting a lobotomy it just felt out of place and really not new reader friendly i felt even me i like i haven't read a lot of comics with people's brains being taken out all right whatever i open it up and i'm like that's you know uncomfortable uh then you move into a really half hand heavy-handed not not engaging uh, eulogy for uh, Professor Xavier given by Wolverine, who's the last person who should be giving it. It just felt very... It just felt very strange. It didn't feel very authentic. Um, I didn't... I don't know. It just didn't feel appropriate uh, that, you know, that, that it's... I just feel like Wolverine is a giant hypocrite, and him being the one to give the eulogy at Xavier's funeral didn't help that. Um, I did kind of like the, uh, Alex Summers and Cyclops having their, their one-on-one here, and, but then you swag way into, first of all, the news 
look for uh, Captain America looks a little weird the way Cassidy does the mask, but that's fine. But I don't really like this new redesign on Thor's costume because there's no real reason for it. And it just kind of looks a little odd. And then you have Rick Remender writing some terrible dialogue with... Honestly, I wish it had been some kind of prank that wasn't real. Like, you have Captain America being like, come have a cup, a cup of coffee with me. And, and Thor, who would never say this, being the place we go to also makes lattes, if you prefer. I do. What? No! This, the, like, is this, I guess this would be humorous and funny, but this is, it just felt painful. And then, and then, although I, I, when you first see him here, uh, you don't really see the chin strap that Captain America is, uh, is wearing. But then in all the subsequent shots, it's very obvious. And it just looks uncomfortable. Uh, you have Avalanche attacking, which is fine. Um, I was reading online and someone made the comment. It might have been a review, so I apologize that I'm not attributing it properly. But you have this awkward panel where instead of you know having Havoc blast Avalanche, he gets, he gets Havoc to instead blast him in the midair so that he can then tackle Avalanche. Plus, like, a page and a half later, suddenly Havoc's in costume. Uh, he wasn't wearing his costume. He was in street clothes. How was he now dressed? Good question, but no one decides to address it. Uh, you have some really good artwork when uh, Scarlet Witch goes to Xavier's uh, grave and memorial to kind of commemorate it. And then you have Rogue being a bit of a sanctimonious bitch. Um, and then having a fight with, uh, with Scarlet Witch, which, I mean, that part felt okay, but it felt a little odd, and then you had, out of nowhere, these Silver Age reject characters show up, the Goatface Girl, the Living Wind, the Insect, uh, and they're showing up for some weird reason, and then you have a flash to a location that honestly looked like the Legion of Doom's headquarters, which felt awkward, where you have the Red Skull, and then this is the last page, you have the Red Skull looking extremely garish and over-the-top cartoony. First of all, how's he back? He was dead. Now he's back. We're just not going to address that. That's fine. Whatever. But he is uh, taking the body of Charles Xavier and scooped out his brain and now holds it in his hand. I felt so disgusted and angry about this because this is just such disrespect to the character of Xavier. Like, if you didn't already realize that no one at Marvel cared that he was really dying and that they kind of shoehorned him into AVX just so that they could kill him, now he's gotten the ultimate disrespect of having his brain scooped out by the Red Skull. Yep, let's mix let's mix and match some concepts and throw this together and see if it works. It doesn't work for me at all. Um, originally, I was going to give this a 7.5 out of 10. The more I think about it, I'm actually going to downgrade it to about a 7. Um, just because the story really didn't work for me, although the art was really fantastic. The art was really strong, and that's why it still has a 7. Uh, there's some just really garish things that happen here. The aw- awkward dialogue in Captain America and Thor. Uh, the horrendous treatment of uh, Charles Xavier's brain. Um, the beginning with having a lobotomy start off the issue. I just didn't care a lot for it, and it didn't get better. Um, but the artwork was strong, so I, I gave it a 7 out of 10. I'm going to see where it goes, it's just this first issue didn't do a lot to convince me that this was something I really needed to read. Uh, next up, is and last up, is Wolverine and the X-Men number 18. Um, this was an issue I enjoyed quite a lot, for the most part. It's by Jason Aaron, with art by uh, Molina. Um, the artwork was actually really, really good. I really liked what Jorge Molina had in store for us. The... Half the issue didn't really work for me um, in some ways because we're getting a, basically a rehash of AVX number 12 as the final battle's going down and then, sorry, AVX 11 and 12 as then Xavier goes down. So that stuff wasn't as good. But the stuff that did work was the character stuff as uh, at the um, uh, at the Jean Grey school they decided to have a dance. You have Lo- Lockheed doing DJing, which is a great like one panel. It's like half of, it's off to the side of a panel and it just it made me laugh. Um... And then having the ridiculous bamps around, which are 
funny, but not really. Uh, but the the standout of this is you have Brew, and he wants to ask out Edie, and he really likes her. And it's just a fantastic page of him looking so adorable. He's in a little tux, and he's got flowers. And then the next page, you see uh, Edie and Quentin Choir dancing. And then at the end of the page, you have uh, Brew walking away all sad, dejected. His uh, kind of eyes are closed instead of open and brimming with light. You have his, you know, he's kind of dropping the flowers behind him. It's all sad. Um, and then at the end of the issue, you realize that, uh, the person that Edie's been ch- changing in terms of personality, and it's because of this pastor who turns out to be a robot, it turns out because, um, the, the black, I guess the black king, I forget who he is even, the Kildare character, K. Kilgore, sorry, um, he's there, uh, he, you know, he's masterminding a plot against the, uh, the ex, the ex-school from the brotherhood not brotherhood sorry the uh, hellfire club so you realize that that glob herman character is a, is a traitor and you also find out that that brew is like you know you're the one who's attacked the school you're the one who's doing something to Edie, and he's all pissed and then uh then you get to the, like that last page and you got the idea that suddenly there's new mutants being born and then uh, there's a blip disappears uh from the um from uh, Cerebra, and you realize on the last page, you just see, and you see that Brew has been shot in the head, and is lying there bloody. Uh, this made me really upset, because my two favorite parts of the issue uh, were how adorable Brew was, because he's one of my favorite characters, a breakout character for me, and then suddenly at the end, he looks like he's dead. Now, on further reflection, probably not dead. Um, the fact that he showed up, he, his thing blipped off the radar maybe he's just not a mutant anymore maybe they shot something in his brain that changed him or something i'd rather that than him being dead uh although i have to give credit to jason aaron that if i didn't care about the character this wouldn't have mattered and the fact that i do care about this character is a testament both to the artwork on this on this book throughout its run that has made brew look so great and very adorable and kind of like this fan the ability to become a fan favorite character based on that and also this great personality that Jason Aaron has infused into him. So seeing this happen to him was a gut punch to me, but that was also a, a mark of, of a writer who knew how to write the character in a way that made me so engaged that seeing him shot on the ground with blood pouring out of his head was it had a, it was a visceral effect on me. It was really upsetting, and I was really kind of like, oh my god, you're kidding me. You can't kill off this character. So... Um, as much as it pissed me off, I gotta give credit where credit is due. That I mean, it was effective writing, and if I didn't, if it, if he, I hadn't cared about the character, it wouldn't have phased me at all. So, I mean, considering how many comics have so much brutal violence, the fact that this, where we don't even see the violent act happen, uh, is so effective and, and and so impactful upon me, really does say something for the writer. So I give credit for that. That's all the reviews I'm going to have time for today. Uh, there's a bunch of issues I didn't end up getting to. Partially, I, I started reading them and just didn't care and couldn't get through them, so I apologize uh, if you were waiting for a review of those books. Uh, they included Before Watchmen, Dr. Manhattan number, one, number 2. I actually just didn't get my hands on this one, so I am looking forward to reading it when I finally get my hands on it. Uh, Demon Knights number 13, mainly because I'm really behind and didn't really want to read without being able to catch up. Frankenstein, Agent of Shade number 13, which... I don't really care for her anyway. Grifter 13, I don't really, didn't really, haven't read any of it really, except for, the, I think, the Zero issue, so I didn't really care. Um, Legion Lost 13, not, didn't actually, I think I flipped through the first page to it, and it just didn't grab me at all. Same could be said of Ravagers number 5. Uh, Space Punisher number 4, didn't get my hands on this time. Suicide Squad number 13, 
I didn't really feel like reading it, and I haven't read the last few issues. Superboy number 13, first page is what I looked at it, and was like, no, I'm good, thanks. Uh, Team 7 number 1, Ultimate Comics X-Men number 17, which I didn't get my hands on, and Wolverine number 314, where I just didn't really care all that much. Especially with a bunch of these books when they come to Marvel, kind of being lame duck books, because they're about to be over and relaunched in most cases, especially with like Wolverine's going to be relaunched, uh, Space Punisher's a miniseries. I mean, a lot of these were DC books that, unfortunately, there's just so much DC content, and a lot of it I just don't really have a lot of interest in, although we did cover a bunch of uh, more enjoyable DC books this week. Uh, the worst book this week that I reviewed was uh, First X-Men number 3, which I gave a 4 out of 10, and the best comic that I read this week was Batman number 13. Absolutely brilliant. I cannot wait for more from Scott Snyder and to see what else he... Uh, the rest of the Bat Family uh, of Bat Family writers are able to put together for Death of the Family because this could be one of the better Joker uh, storylines, not just in the one book, but as a crossover. I mean, the last time Joker had a real crossover, I can't even think. I mean, he had Emperor Joker, and that wasn't so great. It was all right. Uh, so I'm interested to see where we go with this. So, anyways, thanks for again for uh, listening to uh, this episode, which is episode 17 of Comic Shenanigans. Uh, if you want to drop us a line, please feel free to do so at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook now, so please like our Facebook page. Um, and again, any questions, comments, we're looking forward to having in the future uh, listener feedback episodes. So hopefully, if you will, just tell us what you want to see more of if you don't have any comments in the actual episodes that we've done. Uh, we hope to have a new Heroclix related episode up relatively soon. Not quite sure when that'll get done, but uh, we've had some really good feedback. Uh, and a lot of good traffic for our our last few Heroclix-related episodes, so we'll definitely be uh, putting a focus on getting a new episode out there for you guys soon. So thanks again for listening, and uh, make sure to uh, keep your eyes peeled in the next couple days for episode 18, which will be focusing on our Avengers vs. X-Men wrap-up discussion. And again, that episode will be featuring myself, Paul Scores, and Nathan Strzok, two of my uh, frequent guest hosts. So please make sure to join us then. And uh, thanks again for having a great comic shenanigan. <laughs>